Hello, welcome to the. Oh, oh you son of a bitch. <laughs> Stepped all me. over it. I don't believe, I always think that all this bullshit about to provoke you a little bit more, this is superstitious logic. It's pure ideology. You know this ecological bullshit, like. Uh... Hello, welcome to the end of the world. This is Anthropocene's episode 55, Dikembe Matumbo. And today we're going to be talking about uh, Planet of the Humans documentary uh, released on Earth Day, the 50th anniversary of Earth Day this year, directed by Jeff Gibbs, uh, produced by Michael Moore, you'll hear, well, and Ozzy Zayner, who will come up. Uh, And this is our first documentary, I believe, since the the October... Uh, fiasco. Other than other than your Disney Plus Bloomberg documentary, I think. Oh yeah, um, but but yeah, yeah this this was uh, I still felt a little bit uh, traumatized from Doctober. I sort of almost like I, I fucking hate climate change documentaries. <laughs> they it does a lot of them at this point. We've watched and read so much that. A lot of it is just kind of like treading over the same ground. Yeah, it's just like reminders. Hey, in case you forgot, since you watched that last climate change documentary, that all this is uh, the same except worse. <laughs> it's yeah, everything has remained the same except it's also gotten much worse. Um, so this is this was released on Earth Day on purpose, fiftieth um, anniversary of Earth Day. And immediately caused a stir because Michael Moore was involved and it was just sort of dropped onto YouTube in a full version for free. And because, you know, most prominently because of what it says in this documentary to sort of encapsulate it, um, a sort of quick, quick and dirty version. uh, The argument is that green, quote unquote, green energy sources are not worth pursuing and in fact are just as bad as more traditional quote unquote forms of energy such as coal or oil before we get into the uh, substance I just want to say that Jeff Gibbs as documentary narrator has the charisma of a fucking corpse He's, he sounds like one of those robotic voices you hear like on a subway or something. Yeah. Uh, and he, his attempts at humor are cringeworthy, especially when he's like trying to be sarcastic. You hear him like saying things to a guy I'm sure we'll talk about whose, whose name is Ozzy something. He's one of the producers of the film and, a. um, some sort of academic, uh, but yeah, they are, they're trying to sort of banter and, uh, it doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, Ozzy Zayner who is like, yeah. according to Wikipedia, visiting professor at Northwestern, which is just crazy to me. Um, but it, it, we'll talk more about him because he, he has some ideas that I think are in essence good, but then he wrote this book about, um, called green illusions about the illusion of, of green energy. But I'm glad you miss, you mentioned the style of this because Jeff Gibbs is really uncharismatic. And to me, he sounds like Edward Abbey if Edward Abbey didn't have a sense of humor. Um, <laughs> and 
so the whole film is narrated by him in this kind of extremely kind of dull way but then there are a lot of a couple things visually there are a lot of interesting sort of sequences that he's trying to use to make his points but don't really come across and it seems at times he's trying to do some weird sort of Koya Nastasi thing and then also I don't know if you noticed Koyana, this Koya Nastasi yeah oh I can't I don't know if you said it wrong or I said it wrong I don't really still know how to Koya say that Nastasi yeah that's right that's right uh, gotta, but, you gotta sing it to yourself to remember. Um, as I often do yeah just in the shower doing it uh, so I don't know if you notice this but they also managed to license a lot of big music for this there's a Radiohead song everything in it's yeah. right place there's everything king in crimson. it's right place begins this shit show yeah and then king crimson in the court of the crimson king plays later on mm. really strange like I don't I'm not sure how well, that goes. it's it's Michael Moore they they Michael Moore has a a pretty I mean if you watch his movie especially like uh uh capitalism a love story that is a very well made thoughtful uh you know thoughtful critique of capitalism uh sicko mm -hmm. a thoughtful critique of the american healthcare system bowling for columbine a thoughtful critique of america's obsession with guns and and the gun violence uh post columbine and like what the fuck is this and that's the thing that it it the, the shitty thing happens where all of a sudden right wing media tries to scoop up Michael Moore and be like he's on our side now, and it's because he's turned this extremely contrarian uh, viewpoint alongside his sort of he is kind of he enjoys his fame and recognition I think so as yeah as a contrarian it's like yeah. no matter what I'll say the opposite. So it seems like he's finally turned that against something that you would think he would be for, right? Just and it, the whole movie plays out like this, where it's it's kind of one big gotcha of like you thought that you were doing good and that this was the the answer, but nope. Yeah, I I, I sort of have a theory that Michael Moore doesn't really, maybe didn't really know what was in the movie. Uh, as much as maybe we thought he did because he's very he, he in these interviews I've seen of him defending it he's kind of or he's extremely general and vague he is he does not engage with the specifics of the challenges or the or the claims of the film just as the film itself doesn't really engage with the specifics of the claim it the claims it makes uh, and this this is largely the critique that uh, uh, Josh Fox has, who's been a, a very vocal opponent of the film. But I, I want to say first and foremost that I am not 100% against this movie, or or that's that's not true. I am 100% against this movie. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I don't disagree with 100% of what the movie says a there's a very general point that i agree with and that is there is a persistent uh project of of uh trying to sort of swallow up and uh greenwash um uh, capitalism or capitalism trying to swallow up the green 
movement. And I think this movie says that, but then it starts to make some very uh, strange and nonsensical rhetorical conflations of like conflating the capitalists with the the technology they are trying to co-opt. It's like just because you know people like Bloomberg are trying to make money off of the sort of uh, cultural capital of like green energy in quotes doesn't mean that solar panels don't work. Yeah. There's like a, a, a very important distinction between those two things. Yeah. And in, in all of the, there, there's no shortage of debunking articles and videos and things you can watch about this, that go into detail about the things that the movie is either incorrect about or is misrepresenting. So one of those, and the, Josh Fox talks about this, a uh, he of Gasland fame uh, talks about this in his article in the nation about the uh, solar panels that they're looking at in, in Michigan. And the guy, I don't know like why this guy would be the solar panel tour guide or whatever, but he's just sort of talking shit about how terrible these solar panels are. And they only have like 8% uh, like conversion rate or whatever it is. And he's like, well, if we were NASA, we would have the really good ones, but those are incredibly expensive and all this stuff. And Josh Fox is like, yeah, that's not true. Those solar panels are from 2006 or whatever. And since then, the technology has improved and become way cheaper. Um, so in, the, in that sense, the movie does have a lot of just false information or, or at least information that's presented in a way to sort of make these green technologies look much worse than they, they are in reality. Um, but like you were saying, I think there are a lot of things at the core of the film that are that our viewpoints I'm completely fine with. And one of them is, is speaking out against this kind of green capitalism that's trying to co-opt the environmental movement in order to, to further profit. Right. Even though you could even make some sort of argument that it's, you know, that's could end up being a net positive. If we can convince people to, instead of making their money from oil, make their money from solar panels or something like that. But that's, that's kind of a debate for another day. And, but, but there's, there's, there's also, I'm glad you said that because there's also this, uh, this erroneous assumption or, or maybe rhetorically convenient assumption that the film makes that the people lobbying for green energy and, and solar energy, like especially Bill McKibben, that they are under the impression that the fossil fuel infrastructure we now have can simply be taken apart, taken down and replaced with solar energy and that not drastically impact how America's economy and, and, and whole culture function. It, it, it's a convenient rhetorical assumption that you just replace one with the other, and and Gibbs' argument is that, uh, you know, this this one is not any better than the other, but but that is just a uh, just a, a like I said, a sort of adolescent understanding. Bill oh, yeah. McKibben and several of the other uh, people that are sort of implicated in this attack uh, are very much for a sort of as Josh Fox keeps talking about in in his 
critique of the film, The Green New Deal, which utterly disrupts business as usual, which is what the film is sort of saying will continue to happen with this green energy. That is not what McKibben and the other people are saying. They are they are totally for disrupting disrupting business as usual. Yeah. And that, that kind of gets to the, the next point that the, the film is trying trying in a very kind of frustrated way to make, but that I would ultimately agree with. And it's this whole concept of, of degrowth, meaning, you know, de- degrowth of human sort of footprint on the planet Earth and, and living in, in different sorts of ways that would reduce your consumption and things like that. Um, the, the film harps on that a lot. And I think most people that are kind of environmentally minded would, would agree with that general idea. Um, but like I said, the film's not, the film's very vague on most of its ideas. So in that one, it just kind of says we have to, we have to realize that, you know, we're consuming too much and blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't really ever like getting any sort of concrete information. It just sort of keeps repeating that kind of idea over and over again. And another another sort of fallacy in in the film's critique of of uh, solar technology is that they are using uh, the the energy that say the average American consumes um, to to say that oh a solar panel could never um, produce energy to maintain uh enough energy to maintain that's you know lifestyle and at the same time though they're saying that this lifestyle is 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 way out of proportion so you can't have it both ways you know what i'm saying you can't use that as the standard to say solar panels are a failure and critique the lifestyle you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. yeah yeah, that's just another uh, sort of logical fallacy that they make. Yeah, and, you know the film's just full of them. Um, here's a, here's another one. Before I forget, I wa- like I said, I watched some uh, some YouTube channel. Maybe it's called Now You Know. Uh, pretty pretty good take on the film. I thought uh, a debunking of it. And I'm not sure if this is true, but if if they were correct, they said that the early scene where Gibbs goes to a uh, some sort of festival. Uh, oh my god, the Vermont like music festival thing that he goes to. Yeah, and and it's he, uh, these guys are saying that that was in the 90s, like in the mid 90s. <laughs> oh, like it's okay. literally footage from like 1995 that would make a lot of sense cause, but at the same time i kind of assume that like parts of vermont still look like 1995 <laughs> you know like the yeah the i'm not sure where they thing. got that information but uh if that's true that's a ridiculous thing to include in a in a movie about the state of the environmental movement in 2020 it's also incredibly stupid because his his point even if that is from 1995 his ultimate point is but what if it rains that's his whole thing is that he's watching the people turn on this generator to help keep this tiny little music festival looks like a fucking you know county fair or something music festival Mm -hmm. going and his whole point is like oh it rains so they can't use their precious solar panels and he's very kind of like 
it's one of those times where he's trying to be sarcastic, but he just looks like an asshole. Yeah, his, um, yeah, his uh, his attempts at sarcasm are, like I said, just cringeworthy. And he he has no, he has no, uh, uh, like they uh, never have I longed so much for Leo DiCaprio's voice, <laughs> uh, or just somebody with a little bit of you know chutzpah. Yeah. Yeah, that that whole scene at the music festival is just kind of ridiculous. Um, as a lot of this can kind of tend to be. I'm just looking at different things. And one thing that I read in a couple of places that were kind of responding to this that, that I somehow didn't notice that when I was watching it, but now it seems like ridiculous, is it, what, it will maybe make sense if this is someone who's stuck in an earlier age, which it seems like Gibbs is. But the film completely ignores the Trump administration. And I, I, I said administration because I don't mean Trump himself. A lot of people sort of like almost like they're talking about a king or something. They just refer to Trump as like, a you know, the figurehead of all the policies. But the, the administration and their view of environmental issues um, completely leaves that out. He does pick on Obama, which is fine, whatever. Obama was terrible on a lot of things. Um, but it was just sort of fascinating to, to look back on it and be like, yeah, he really didn't touch on the political situation in the country at all. Yeah. There's a, there's a list that Josh Fox just sort of spouts off of all the things that this film ignores that are very relevant factors in, uh, contemporary climate change discourse and I, he probably mentions the, the Trump administration. I know he mentions Greta Thunberg. Uh, just you know, all these all these things that have happened in the last two or three years, mm-hmm. and uh, they're just they're just absent. It's it's like he's been sitting on this movie for twenty years and just sort of uh, cherry picking. You know, over, uh, like it's like once a year he picks one news article and like explores it and puts it in his film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, so uh, just picking his the way he picks. Cherry picks those those people to go after is just like I, I, I would love to hear that thought process because it just doesn't make any sense. And the people he interviews are, are very sort of carefully chosen, it seems. And even then, when he asks some questions, they seem like they're not really. They haven't really. He asks a lot of questions about like biomass, for instance, and a lot of them you can tell that they have to like scramble in their brain or like biomass. What, what do I say about this? Um, but then the people he's interviewing, so he goes to like Ford and talks to them about their their electric car, and we're supposed to be shocked that these people that work for one of the largest automotive or Chevy, yeah, the Chevy Volt, right? And and he's like, we're supposed to be shocked somehow that these people that work for one of the biggest automotive producers in the world still you know, express that they think oil is important, not going away. Like what, why is that supposed yeah, to be? And then, and then to rhetorically conflate the, you know, the, the powers that be in the Chevrolet corporation or the Chevy corporation, uh, with people like Bill McKibben. Yeah. And I like, don't know what, what, like did Bill McKibben, like fuck this dude's wife or something like what, what's <laughs> going on? I don't understand. Well, the, and, and like you said, there's all these little gotcha, moments and they they play a clip of bill mckibben sort of stuttering about uh you know donors to 350.org um and it's it's just it's it's a very clever editing tactic where they just 
cut or they let him, they sort of show McKibben kind of struggling and then they cut, uh, so that you can, you, the viewer can sort of insert your own terrible ending to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe, maybe one of the worst parts is the montage of like how, uh, how, uh, solar panels are made. You know what I'm talking about where it's like, it's yeah. just this hyper kinetic, uh, that's what I was talking about. The like Koya Nascati thing. Oh yeah. 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 I, to me, it, it felt like the, uh, uh, like the universe sequence in the middle of the tree of life, except like really fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And that, that's kind of the thing is like this film, if this film was at least like well, well made and like well argued, that's one thing, but it's just kind of not, um, and, and one of the reasons is like you're saying, like that whole sequence is meant to be this like earth shattering, like as you're watching it, your jaw is supposed to like hit the floor, but instead it's just kind of annoying and over long. Um, and and so. apparently it, it, it worked on a lot of people. Like, uh, you know, I was reading McKibben's response in Rolling Stone and he's getting like hate mail and stuff. Yeah. Which is fine. Whatever. I'm sure it, there are people that are deeply invested in environmental movement and green energy movement that see this and just immediately recognize it as like, Oh, that's just some shyster looking for like 15 minutes of fame or whatever. And they just kind of don't even pay attention to it. The, the people that I worry about are like what I kind of think of as the Joe Rogan audience, which are people that are just like open to new ideas. And so they see this and they think that it makes a lot of sense. And they're like, Oh, that's horrible. Well, it's also people whose whose only exposure to ideas is in a visual context. Yeah. Oh, YouTube put this out. I should watch it. You know, I was just thinking it's interesting how uh, it's almost like the real conversations about or the more the more fundamental conversations about films take place not in the films but afterwards in writing it's like a, a pretty good argument for the printed word that you know look at all the the ink spilled about this movie and it's like the real substance of it is is in the discourse following the movie as opposed to the movie itself um anyway I was just looking at my notes and I have just a quick note that says this montage is obnoxious. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's almost, it, it's almost like, do you remember? <laughs> I think, I think we saw this when I was at last time I was in Alabama when Jensen and I were there and we were preparing to do the episode on the Truman show and Pleasantville and the matrix, I think. And we watched that. Uh, sort of amateur documentary that was about like the oh. devil or something oh, in, in yeah. liberal Hollywood movie. The like the font in Planet of the Humans, like the, for title cards and things. Not not the opening title card, which is the Planet of the Apes font. Uh, but like within the film, it it has this very sort of like iMac produced feel to it. Like just okay. some dude with his computer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 for sure. And, except, you know, the the 
the big difference being that it has Michael Moore kind of his weight behind it. No, yeah. no fat yeah. joke intended. Just his his influence behind right. it. Yeah, and he, yeah, he's he's going on all the remote talk shows uh, promoting it. And, and know, he's you know, and he's you know he would like in, that's what he does. And infuriatingly, he takes the, the 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 fact that it first of all it's been taken down off of, you know from YouTube, but he takes these attacks as like. Oh, see, this is proof that what we're we're saying is the truth, and it's the hard truth that the corporations don't want you to hear. And and Josh Fox, has, like I said, has been a very vocal uh, critic of this movie. And he says, "What this is is not censorship. This it, it, it's it's weirdly parallel to the to the whole Twitter thing with Trump recently. Uh, you know, putting a corrective." to someone's crazy thoughts is not censorship and it's not uh, uh, infringing on their right to free speech. And Josh Fox is explaining this saying, it's like if, if a newspaper puts out an article and then gets fact-checked and those facts are, are wrong, you, you, know, you correct them. They have to go back and, and, and change it not because they're not allowed to say something wrong, but because who wants to say something wrong when the, when the facts are available? Yeah, and it, it sort of it, it makes me – somebody I know brought this up recently, but the whole uh, – you know Karl Popper? Yeah, so, uh, what is it? The Open Society and its and enemies, its enemies or something yeah. like that? He also had that, the, the paradox of tolerance. Mm. That in order for a, a society to be tolerant, they have to be intolerant of intolerance, or else they'll be taken over by intolerance. Um, right, right, right. It's sort of that of like, is it censorship? Yes, but at this po- at in this case, I think it's censorship in pursuit of a worthy cause, which is preventing such mass spread of this kind of misinformation. Um. Or not, well, some of it's mis- misinformation, some of it's just poorly organized information. Um, yeah, it's like, it's like the, I mean, you can say anything you want, that is free speech, but to say anything you want and, and expect not to be challenged on it is, is ridiculous. And, and uh, this maybe this is going to make me sound like an old fogey or something. But I encounter, I feel like as a teacher in, in college, I feel like I encounter college students who have the same expectation and same definition to where they, they sort of conflate, uh, you know, being personally attacked with being intellectually challenged. Yeah. Like if someone disagrees with you, they are in some way doing doing harm to you uh which is dangerous uh to to conflate those things uh you know which you know puts an immediate stop to the spread of ideas uh so i i you know i don't know what to do with that other than say i don't like it yeah i mean i've had i've had students that just not not fairly recently, but in the past, who have just gone full mask off and just expressed thoughts that were just like, 
completely fascistic or racist, whatever it may be. And in those moments, it was my job to stop and be like, okay, well, why do you think that? What proof do you have of that? What if I add, what if I told you this? Would that change your view of that? Right. And, you know, sometimes you can, you can bring them around to like a more kind of reasonable view of things. But a lot of times they're so previously entrenched anyway. And, you know, my dad said this, therefore it might as well come from the lips of God. Right. And so they, they just sort of are like, well, you don't agree with me, but that's because you're a lib cuck idiot. And, I, and it's like, right. okay, well, at that point, you know, go with they're, God. They're like <laughs> the, uh, the kid in the, uh, youth circle at, uh, in first <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, here's, here's a good example, uh, from, from one of my classes. And I think this will bring us back around to what we were talking about before we started recording the sort of neo Malthusian arguments implicit in, in planet of the humans. So I was teaching, uh, just like a basic composition, uh, course freshman. And we read, we're studying rhetoric and we read a short article by David Foster Wallace that, that appeared, I believe originally in the Atlantic. It's called just asking. And this was relevant to the course because that uh, article is written entirely in rhetorical questions. That's why it's called, the pun is just asking. Uh, and it's about uh, it's about the tension between freedom and safety, particularly as it pertains to the Patriot Act. It was written in 2007. Uh, and so he's just, like I said, he writes these rhetorical questions uh, to challenge the notion that uh, safety trumps freedom, and and basically suggests that that uh, that believing that safety is more important than freedom augurs a very bleak future. Uh, and he he makes the the point that. He, and, and, and he makes it delicately that not that, you know, 3000 and something people died on 9-11 and that uh, tens of thousands of people die from car accidents every year. But that the uh, freedom and autonomy of the car of the automobile uh, justify it in in most Americans minds. Anyway, I had a student. You know, we were just discussing it, and the student said um, that she thought that the car companies didn't mind about all the accidents and the deaths from the accidents because of overpopulation. <laughs> and I said, I said, so you you mean that the automobile industry and corporations are conspiring together to help solve the problem of overpopulation by killing the people who buy their cars. And when I put it this way, uh, which, which, I mean, I said it, I, I said that sort of sarcastically, but it, uh, in what I'd like to think was not a totally, you know, assholeish way. Uh, sort of reflecting back to her the implications of what she was saying. And she just sort of smiled and was like, no, I don't think that, <laughs> you know, um, and sort of 
you know, we teased it out and, and, you know, sort of tried to get at what she really thought, which was, you know, not that she didn't actually believe that, but it makes me think, what if I hadn't said that? What if I just like, or, or, or no one else in the class had responded, uh, which they did. I should point out other people in the class were like, um, no. Um, what if no one had responded and corrected her? Is she, you know, she becomes validated in that idea and, and, and this never sort of, uh, grows or, or, you know, progresses past that, you know, ridiculous mindset of, <laughs> of what she said. So like encountering opposing, um, ideas is like the whole thing of education. Um, Anyway, I'm just sort of rambling now, and that's a good but I think, way of putting it. I, that, think that, I, I think we can transition to, you know, the, the sort of Malthusian thing we were talking about. Oh, that's the, yeah, I like the way you put that, that that's the whole thing. Like that's, <laughs> that's what we're here to do it, at its very kind of essence. That, that goes back to fucking Socrates, right? We're here to sort of investigate, right. get towards some sort of, you know, deeper truth. If there is one, that sort of thing. Um, and I do mm-hmm. like the, I remember you telling me this story at some point, like back closer to when it happened. And you were like, mm-hmm. you said something like, I I heard what she said. And I thought, now there is a fascinating idea. <laughs> like, if you actually believe that, <laughs> that is fascinating. <laughs> and I love that because it gets to like, when you're a teacher, all you want is for your students to have interesting ideas. Like if they, if they're going out in, you know, into space, just completely outside of the box, but it's still like somehow connected to what you're doing. You're like, okay, let's explore that for a minute. Let's see where that goes. <laughs> right. Cause it, cause at least they're participating, you know? Yeah. I'd, I'd rather them spout, you know, fascist, uh, ideas than nothing at all. At least, at least we can have a decent conversation. And like I said, she, she sort of knows now that that's, you know, that that's not okay to, to say. And she knows it in a way that's not really like, or she knows it because of a, an experience that's not really uh, high stakes. You know, it's like, oh, maybe she felt a little bit embarrassed being slightly challenged by me and, and, and some of the other people in the class. But, you know, maybe she doesn't say something stupid in front of her boss yeah, it's in, like in five years because because and and not to not to use corporate etiquette as the standard, you know, like yeah. oh, that's what we're doing here. Education is making you suitable for employment, even though that's what the universities would would prefer. That's that's how a lot of students think about it too. That's why, um, you know, in the there's this late episode of The Office that I've seen a million times because the lava's obsessed with the office and uh it's a uh, dwight milking a cow and his nephew who he's like never met before is a little you know like a young boy and he, he asks uh is that a goat i think is the question and dwight just goes did you just ask if this is a goat <laughs> and he's like i just asked a question and dwight's response is yeah but it was a stupid question so you're gonna get made he's like questions are fine but it was a stupid question so you're gonna get made fun of a little bit <laughs> and it's like yeah that's 
That's how you learn. Th- that's how I've always learned things is you start off in something and you're kind of dumb at it. And then you make mistakes and you correct them. And then eventually you get to where you understand things. Right. I, I remember <laughs> this is like really embarrassing because like I said, I was like a, I was, I guess I was in high school and I, I remember it used to be, there was like a message board. I don't know if you remember this on IMDB. There's like different threads, uh, message boards. Maybe they still have it. I don't know. I don't really get on IMDB, but I was in high school and I remember I had just seen the movie, the squid and the whale. And, and I, you know, I really liked that movie. And I just got into one of those like early, you know, proto proto Facebook arguments, uh, you know, the where where anonymity sort of fuels the the vitriol. And uh, I said something really fucking stupid. I don't even remember what it was, but it was like it, at, at the time I didn't know it was stupid. <laughs> uh, it was just like a, a a ridiculous like illusion, like a, a ridiculous comparison of the movie to where like a few years later I still remembered and I was like, oh, my God, I'm an idiot. Uh, but but the point is even that sort of shitty uh, interaction of like message board culture uh, still is a confrontation with ideas that helps you to not have such shitty ideas yeah for sure as long as you approach it in that way then there's nothing wrong with that right and as long as you're open to self-scrutiny, you know, because I could have just sort of sealed myself off and been like, no, that guy's a fucking moron. I'm right. <laughs> What's Kubrick up to lately? <laughs> uh, inside joke. But the yeah, that, and that's sort of what's going on with um, this documentary where it's like it sort of Gibbs assuming he's correct, right? Like oh no, this is, this is too important to, to budge on. Therefore what's happening to me is censorship. And it seems like this is kind of all he has to do right now because he responds to like every criticism. It seems like there's a whole page on the, the website for the movie, which is very well developed. I think that was by design, right. To have all these different, you know, tabs you can go to. And one of them is, is sort of response from the director and he, he just has all these pages of like responding to these criticisms and responding to Bill McKibben's piece in Rolling Stone and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it, he's very much not really backing down on any of this, right? So it's sort of uh, passion, but for the, the wrong kind of causes. Um, because with this movie, I kept making notes of like, I don't like, I get what he's saying, but I don't know where he's going. And what ended, what ended up being the answer to my question is that he wasn't really going anywhere. He doesn't really offer solutions, right? It's just kind of an argument in service of nothing. Yeah. Maybe uh, to that point, maybe one of the weirdest uh, parts was the inclusion of the interview with uh, a professor whose name I believe is Sheldon Solomon, yeah. who's a guy I've I've seen on YouTube who's like an Ernest Becker scholar. Yeah, and he uh, was he that interview was fascinating, but I don't understand the point of it being included. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like it's like oh, 
I mean, this guy's talking about sort of uh, Becker ideas of denial of death and humans are, are like culture itself is a denial of the reality that human beings are animals and that we die. And it's, it seems like the inclusion by, by, you know, by the end of the movie, it seems like the inclusion of that interview is just to say, we're all going to die. Get, get used to it. Uh, Which, which, which again, uh, sort of goes back to this neo Malthusian sort of, uh, you know, Darwinian survival of the fittest thing. Um, one thing, one thing Josh Fox said, which I thought was interesting was that, uh, this movie rolls out over and over again, old white men bitching about population overpopulation. Um, so, so here, let me, let me read to you from my notes. This is the last note I took on this movie before I gave up and stopped taking them. And, uh, I wrote the danger of this movie isn't its promotion of nihilism, but the desire for depopulation lurking behind that veneer of nihilism. So it's not that the movie doesn't suggest any, any alternatives, just like the alternative that it kind of half-assedly suggests is depopulation. And it doesn't say what that would entail, but it very much right. like hints at eco-fascism. Right. There's, there's no, it's no, it's no, uh, you could even construe it as a positive thing like education for, uh, you know, populations vulnerable to unwanted pregnancies. Um, there's a whole, a whole list of, of ways you, you can promote, uh, degrowth of the population that doesn't imply that you're a, you know, an eco-fascist. Um, and, and I don't want to call, I don't want to call Jeff Gibbs eco-fascist because he doesn't give us enough content. He doesn't explore it enough, uh, for us to say that. Yeah. He does, he does leave it open (laughs) for interpretation (laughs) though. Um, so I mean, it's worth mentioning at least. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so you kind of come away from this of like, okay, well, this is all very shitty, but what do we do? Right. And there's no real, and and when he talks about depopulation, he just kind of interviews a lot of people that just echo He kind of creates his own echo chambers. And so you have that, that scene like cuts of different people being like, there are just too many people. And it's like, okay, yeah, but you know, what's, what's on the other side of that. Right. And it, I don't know, just, he doesn't really, he doesn't have a firm kind of ideological foundation to stand on here because he just kind of refuses to trace it out for us. I I remember hearing an interview with Wendell Berry where he's talking about a sort of mild disagreement he had with uh, Edward Abbey who you mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. and they're like friends, I think, uh, or at least uh, acquaintances or they used to correspond with each other. And it was about population control. And Edward Abbey was, was much more interested in and vocal about uh, overpopulation. And 
Wendell Berry says he could never fully get behind, you know, that movement or, or Edward Abbey's position on it because he said he was always afraid, uh, that he, that, that he, Wendell Berry was going to be in one of the demographics that the movement thought was expendable. <laughs> you know, yeah. he was like, what, what populations are, are overly populated? Am I one of them? Uh, because you know small farmers are are kind of disappearing <laughs> yeah and you see that uh play out in a different scenario now with the the covid stuff of everyone clamoring to fully reopen and live their lives quote unquote and all that shit they're they're kind of telling every elderly person in the united states that you are expendable that like mm-hmm. you had a good run but now you know we have to go get a haircut so sorry sorry papa um, so. it's, 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 there's some, some bitter sort of irony here to, you know, we talked about John Prine and, uh, his song about the one about the old folks as, uh, Chris Christopherson put it, yeah. um, that, that John Prine himself, you know, passed away due to, uh, COVID-19 and wrote kind of the song about the, stigmatization of the elderly uh, which is you know very much a thing right now in the midst of COVID-19 so yeah. Uh, yeah it's like you know 31 so I'm by no means older elderly but god do I feel older now because there's so many young people in my community but also just sort of nationwide that f- genuinely seem to feel as if they're invincible from this disease and it's like incredibly disheartening and also just, uh, I don't know. I also have this thing of like young people throwing up the middle finger to old people. I kind of get it. Cause I was sort of like that, but in this scenario, I feel like this is not, this is smacks more of selfishness than it does of any sort of like meaningful rebellion against anything. Yeah. There's, there's a difference between throwing up a finger to, to the old order and throwing up a finger to the physically vulnerable elderly. Yes. Yeah. So that's, you know, an enormous bummer. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the subtitle of this podcast. Yeah. There's a, the, the band, AJJ, formerly Andrew Jackson Jihad, before they changed their name, um, have this, this great song. And the last line is, you're a completely unique individual with your own idea of what it means to suffer. And that's a huge bummer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, so yeah, that still holds true for me. Um, I forget what we were talking about in reference to the movie before we got off on this tangent. I think we're kind of like population control. That's sort of implicit. It's not, it's not, um, like I said, I've, I really got a lot out of this interview I heard with Josh Fox and I think it was through the, the Hill, I think, which I think is a, is that a magazine? I can't remember or if that's just a website, but, uh, these reporters or, or newscasters, whoever they are, uh, talking to Josh Fox or they're saying, you know what? We, we talked to Jeff Gibbs and we really pressed him hard on this and, you know, he denied the things you're saying about these sort of uh, uh, overpopulation 
Malthusian arguments. And Josh Fox is like, well, he can deny it all he wants, but but the fact is, you know, in his film, that is an implicit sort of suggestion when you say, you know, when you spend uh, spend half the movie saying green energy doesn't work and the other half saying there's too many people. What conclusions are viewers supposed to draw? Exactly. And that's why that's when you leave the door open to eco-fascist thinking, even if that wasn't his intention, like you were saying, like he doesn't just come out and say like, and we have to keep brown people in their own. Like he doesn't say anything like that, but you can very easily go down this slope that he creates and get to that point. If you are so inclined, if you are so inclined, that's a good physics joke for you. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't get it. I I said a slippery slope. And then I talked about if you are so inclined, uh, uh, yeah anyway um (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty good and so that's um it's just i don't know i feel like on the one hand i'm like ah fuck this movie like gibbs seems like he's kind of like an old uh like he's an old disen not disenchanted what's the word i'm looking for disillusioned hippie um and and so he's just kind of bitter and and is also kind of his his information is very outdated at this point and all that kind of stuff. But at the same point, I kind of wish that he would have put in the extra work to actually express his ideas in a way where we can fully understand kind of where he's coming from. Because I feel like even with what all this stuff we got in this whole documentary f- film, it seems like he's only expressing maybe, you know, three fourths of the ideas that he has and he doesn't really go, or maybe he doesn't have them, but he doesn't go all the way toward defining sort of what his viewpoint is in a way where you can argue against it in a kind of more, or I guess like less combative, more kind of good faith way, because all the stuff he does is already in, in such bad faith. Right. It's so weird. Like you said that this, that he's made a movie that can be co-opted by, uh, uh, as Bill McKibben says in his Rolling Stone article about uh, by uh, like Breitbart inclined people, and like you said, a sort of Joe Rogan kind of kind of uh, I don't know what you call that crowd. It's it's it, there's certainly overlap with like the Jordan Peterson crowd, um, but yeah, for, for this guy who has been clearly so involved in the environmental movement to make a movie uh, with which people like that can be sympathetic is very strange. And, and maybe even worse is a result of, of just bad filmmaking as opposed to bad thinking. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, but it, one, one thing, and, and I think I said this before we started recording, I do think that, I think that Jeff Gibbs, I think there's more to it, like you said, that needs to be seen and needs to be fleshed out. Um, I don't think he is putting forth a pro. I think a lot of people are making the mistake of seeing Jeff Gibbs say green energy doesn't work and and therefore assuming that he is putting forth a pro fossil fuel argument. I do not think he is pro fossil fuels. Uh, 
it seems like, like we've been talking about, the essence of his argument is anti-overpopulation. Yeah. Uh, which is, in a way, maybe worse. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know. There's just, like you said, there's just not enough. There needs to be more. Uh, or or there, need, there either needs to be more or there needs to be nothing. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, it's just, I, I'm kind of, I would like more backstory on how uh how michael moore came to be sort of connected to gibbs like what what's their relationship why did he feel the need to get involved in this film as deeply as he has because he you could see like it would be completely possible for him to be a producer on this and then if it starts getting this backlash to kind of step back and say whoa whoa you know you know i I wasn't fully aware or whatever but he's fully behind this movie um so it's kind of i would like to hear like what the rationale behind that is like what part of me part of me part of me thinks it has to do with this sort of deep loyalty he often expresses in his movies with the uh the people of of uh, detroit and the automobile culture which of which of course is an extension of the you know, fossil fuel economy. Um, so part of me thinks maybe this is like an actual sort of conscious backing of, of the Detroit economy. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. It seems like he's, uh, he's more aware than that. Yeah. But this, uh, I don't know what I what I hope this film doesn't represent is some sort of fragmentation among the environmental movement, um, those that still hold out some kind of hope for green energy, and those that see it as a as they call it in the documentary playing pretend. Um, I, I, like I I don't think it would be that powerful, but you never know with these sorts of things. I think people apparently there's involved. there's been some some fragmentation already. Um, and 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 I just want to be clear that I I do think that you know in general as as the point that Gibbs is making that there is an attempt by you know it, vaguely speaking capitalism to swallow the 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 green movement like I, that's happening but but the way in which he presents it and the the people he demonizes are not necessarily part of that uh, process of appropriation. Yeah. Yeah. I would mostly agree with that. So so like in in a vague way, he's like, he's sort of generally right about some things, uh, but his examples are all very half-baked and in, in some cases just flat out wrong like and 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 mostly outdated that's that's a very strange aspect of this movie i can't remember the last time i saw a documentary and thought oh this is so outdated (laughs) because i think for the most part they try to go out of their way to seem up to date right that's the whole point uh yeah but but like you said they don't mention they don't even mention trump like i mean you can't watch a fucking opening monologue on a on the tonight show without 20 references to trump and you're going to make an entire an hour and 40 minute 
movie about climate change in 2020 and not mention Donald Trump? What? Yeah, that's the big glaring omission. He does like picks on other countries, picks on Germany and all this stuff. But I, I don't know. He just his scope is very peculiar, peculiar in a lot of ways. Um, so, I, you know, I don't I don't really know. It's just, I don't know. The film just kind of the, the biggest thing that it does that I, that I just really disliked is that it comes out the other end and gives us no sorts of of opinions even on where to go right it just seems like it's completely given up in a way that it is understandable but at the same time very dissatisfying uh dishonest as if to say that gibbs just like has thrown his hands up and been like okay fuck it whatever we're all fucked um and maybe that's yeah. the case but but it's just very like what's the point of tearing down a movement that may have positive well for the most part has been proven to have positive outcomes um like what's the the point of that right and you get this sort of weird horseshoe theory that he's gone so far left he's come back around to the right and is echoing a lot of the talking points that the Koch brothers that he talks about in the documentary as as the devil incarnate that they would support as well mm-hmm so it just seems like, what are you trying to do, Jeff? Like, what's your what's your end game here, if there is one? Or were you just trying to get in on the... Were you trying to be the Michael Moore of the environmental movement? Yeah, and, and you know, I didn't really do a lot of research on, like, who the hell Jeff Gibbs is. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what his what his deal is. Uh, but But really, I mean, it seems like the only reason why planet of the humans is a thing is because of michael moore and his connection to it yeah otherwise it's just some dude some old can, disillusioned right can dude. you can you imagine like what the difference would have been had had michael moore not been attached to this this would have been chewed up and spit the fuck out the day it was released yes which is kind of impressive in terms of Michael Moore's reputation, which, like I said, for, for someone to be so annoying uh, and, uh, you know, kind of on an individual level, like kind of hard to like, uh, the fact that his movies are so popular is, is a testament to how deeply they resonate with people. And, of course, by his movies, I mean the ones previous to this. Yeah. Uh, I know specifically, fair. specifically, like I said, Bowling for Columbine, uh, Sicko, and Capitalism: A Love Story. Uh, I really like all of those movies. And even like I think Bowling, Bowling for Columbine just got a uh, Criterion release. <laughs> well, I mean that one's kind of. If there's one of his films where he's been kind of right on every part of it, it's kind of that one. And I would, yeah. yeah, Sicko too, I would argue. But then. You think about like Bowling for, or no, sorry, sorry, wrong title. You think about Fahrenheit 9-11. That was the preview for that movie was the first time I had seen the George W. Bush interview where he's on the golf course and he's like, now watch this drive. You know, weirdly, this is, this is out of left field. I was thinking about that clip because you sent me a, a, a link from Twitter maybe last week that was, of uh that uh, 
clip from Oakja or the still yeah. photograph from Oakja. That was a recreation of a picture taken of Biden, Obama, and Hillary Clinton. I'm not sure what the picture was. I don't know if it was like on election night or something. Um, anyway, there, there's a scene in Oakja that is a, a direct recreation of a picture of the sort of establishment status quo, uh, sort of neoliberal wing of the American political system. And it made, it made me think about, you know, the way filmmakers use political, uh, political images in their films. And it made me think of uh, true detective. Uh, do you know the scene I'm talking about? Uh, I'm not sure where it, it's late in the, in, uh, season one when Woody Harrelson sort of, uh, trying to get friendly with the old detective that they used to work with. Who's now a sheriff of a nearby town who kind of has an inside information about one of the missing girls. And there he, he goes golfing with him and, uh, he sort of, Woody Harrelson's character sort of presses him to give him more information about this. And the sheriff's about to tee off and he's basically like, Oh, I don't really know. Please don't ask me about this again. Uh, it doesn't really matter. And then he said, he sort of, it's the same angle as that George Bush clip. And he says, now watch this drive. (laughs) And it's like, you, you, you sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an illusion that, uh, that carries with it all the, implications of of the original image and i think that's really cool that that filmmakers are starting to do that or or at least i'm starting to notice that filmmakers do that yeah because i don't know the people forget that the the bush years were just as fucking ridiculous as the trump years except we also had the two major wars and all that. Yeah, I think that was like a major theme of our episode on there will be blood is like hey don't forget always remember uh george bush fucking sucks yeah george bush was so bad that he warped a whole generation of punk music every punk band between the year 2000 and 2008 had like if not a few songs a whole album dedicated to how shitty george bush was have you seen vice yet adam mckay uh the cheney movie dick cheney movie no, I haven't seen it. It's it's better than I thought it was going to be. Finally watched it. It's on. I think it's on Hulu. It's like I've gotten to the point now where like anytime people, it's like if the general consensus is that a movie sucks, you should watch it because it means it's weird or creative or original in some way. Because that movie's pretty cool. Except that's not true of Planet of the Humans. That's very true. Yeah, no, this movie just regular sucks. It <laughs> <laughs> just plain old sucks. Uh, but yeah, Dick Cheney's one of those guys. Like him and Kissinger, who is still alive somehow, like through the power of evil. Like they yeah. they have this just outsized effect on world history, and then they just fade into the shadows where they go and like fuck kids or whatever it is that they're doing, and like eat their brains and <laughs> and. uh live forever on top of their pile of ill-begotten money 
that's one of the things that uh, the movie Vice points out is that uh, once Dick Cheney got a heart transplant, he won't. He doesn't. He like refuses to refer to the heart he got as someone else's heart. He only refers to it as his new heart. <laughs> what the fuck? That's so funny. I can't imagine being I ungrateful for a heart transplant. Right. I don't know if that's true, but it's it seems like it would be very strange to include if it weren't. Uh, but yeah, uh, I I I can. Oh my god. I can recommend Vice. It's mine. I paid for it. It's mine. <laughs> that's just like. I I don't know what it is, man. I don't know. It's like the only the only conclusion I can come to is that like the devil is real and <laughs> this is just evil <laughs> on earth. Dick Cheney, I want to thank you for uh, bringing religion to my life because now I know the devil is real. Yeah, like he he he's out there trying to trick us. I can just tell. Yeah, it's like I'm gonna have to reread the Screw Tape letters after watching Vice. <laughs> God, um, Dick Cheney as Wormwood. Yeah, he could pull it off with his fucking beady little eyes. Um, so yeah, I guess that's pretty much it for the movie. Like, I don't really have a whole lot else to add. Yeah, me neither. Oh, I just because uh, I thought this was funny. Near the beginning, Jeff Gibbs is kind of laying out his his bona fides for being an environmental activist. And he says, uh, like, I was confronted by the BB co- the BP cops. And all it is, it's like a tape of him, like, outside of, like, an oil refinery, like, taping. And the cops, like, oh, if you're a journalist, like, take as many pictures as you want or whatever. But, like, you can't do that. The cop's, like, weirdly friendly to him. And it's like, you're going to have to fill out the forms. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you'll have to talk to, to our manager or whatever. And that's his whole, his big thing of, like. Yeah, the cops the cops hassled me one time. Right. <laughs> it's like okay, dude. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. It's uh it, it's just it's you just sort of wonder. I, I wish I would have done some research on like who Jeff Gibbs is because uh it seems like this guy's just sort of had a, a decent camera for twenty years and it's just sort of been piecing together this kind of uh bitter passion project yeah i think bitter passion project is kind of the best way to to explain this in the fewest amount of words um so yeah wouldn't recommend it well i mean actually i would because i think it's important to see it's important to face these kinds of criticisms when they come up uh yeah because they're easily refuted for one and for two if you don't it makes it seem as if you're hiding something which I, i feel like the green energy movement does not need to do you could the whole debate over like the billionaire backers and all that stuff. Like that's a legit criticism that you have to sort of reconcile with of, you know, is this movement so important that you're willing to maybe sell out parts of it to Richard Branson or whatever. Like that's, I, I get that argument that that all makes a lot of sense, but to just use that as an excuse to say, like, throw out the baby with the bathwater. I think that's ridiculous. And you're also you're also undercutting the good parts of your argument by half assing the rest of your arguments. Yeah. So, yep. Done dusted. 
it's it's like this this movie is sort of like sort of like the big bang theory like it's worth watching just so you know what's wrong <laughs> that's like I, I watch all the marvel movies because like, <laughs> yes. i need to know where culture's going uh, but yes, yeah, so I, I was watching. I watched South Park the other night. I guess it was maybe a season or two ago. And there's a, a pretty good episode about uh, the Black Panther, or Black Panther, where the uh, you know the the black character in South Park, whose name is Token, uh, won't acknowledge that he's seen it. He doesn't want to acknowledge that he's seen it because he didn't like it. <laughs> And he he feels like he's not allowed to not like it. Anyway, it's a good episode. Um, So check out that South Park episode from a couple years ago. If you get anything from this episode, I hope it's that you should watch South Park. Yeah. We've talked talked about doing the the Man Bear Pig sort of series. Uh, Maybe we'll get around to that someday. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's there's not very many of them, right? Like maybe two or three of them. Yeah, and and maybe maybe there's an episode or two that mentions it uh, where it's not the focus, but I don't know. I don't watch that much South Park. Yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I recommend it, but I don't really watch it. No, I it's one of those things. Like when I was a kid, definitely big proponent, but now I'm like, uh, whatever. Like uh, they're the Trey Parker Matt Stone's kind of worldview didn't jive with me as much once I got older and started reading more books and stuff. Yeah, it se- it seems like it seems like they're getting a little better. It seems like they they sort of used to be locked in the sort of libertarian um I don't know. They they used to feel a lot more kind of adolescent um which I mean South Park definitely is, but I think they're I think they're they're growing up a little bit not to sound you know crazy patronizing but um some of the some of the newer episodes are are pretty thoughtful yeah okay well for next week doing something uh way different from this and this is in light of all the demonstrations protests going on around the country uh we decided that the movie we're going to be watching next week is do the right thing from 1989, directed by Spike Lee. I always have to Spike be really Lee careful. Joint. Yeah, I always have to be careful not to say Spike Jones because yeah, I'm an idiot and like I get people confused. It's like uh, I like the show Community, and I was rewatching it recently because they put it on Netflix. I'm by no means the only person that did this, and uh, there Allison Brie is in the is like a regular star of the show. But mm. Brie Larson is a guest on some episodes. And oh, those are different people. I just now <laughs> figured that out. Yeah. And so like those, for, those are two because of the name and stuff like in my head, those are two people I always have to like stop for a second and separate them. And they were on the same show, like talking to each other. And I'm like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> so that, that's just a problem in my own mind. But yeah, a spike. They should just they should just like each agree to change their name to the other one just to fuck with the whole world <laughs> yeah and it, i would like i would have a meltdown like my <laughs> brain would leak out of my ears um so yeah spike lee do the right thing uh talking about you know all of the the issues racism police violence 
uh, white supremacy, all the things that are very much so erupting around the country right now. Um, and just sort of talking about this movie that is, you know, the a huge kind of landmark in uh, American filmmaking, if not world filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, maybe, maybe Spike Lee's legacy. I can't think of another movie that is more kind of emblematic and, and, and associated with, with Spike Lee. Yeah. Which is, cause this is, is, is that his first like major film? I don't think so. I think he made She's Gotta Have It maybe before that. I, I could be wrong. I need to double check that. No, you're right. I don't made, think it's uh, his first. You're right. I'm, I'm way off. It's She's Gotta Have It in school days mm. uh, before that. So, so yeah, um, we'll be watching Do the Right Thing, talking about that, getting deep in the shit of American society. And yeah, yeah uh, looking forward to it. <laughs> What a shit show the world is. For real, like, I don't know, maybe maybe we'll have an episode next week if, like, the government doesn't collapse or whatever. Which, if it did, fine. Like, bring on whatever comes next. Let something new be born. I've been thinking about, like, somebody needs to write a song from the perspective of the Target that got destroyed. The Target store. Uh, It's like accepting its own death it's like it's okay i don't really want to live you know yeah i was i'm born of an unholy union anyway (laughs) now this is what we need john prine for (laughs) yeah yeah all right so i that's that's all i got me too see ya peace